0: Betches Media presents.
1: Ha ha! Laugh funny.
0: Mention it all. A Bravo by Betches podcast.
1: We don't say that, but now we said it.
0: With me, Dylan Hafer. We're we'll
1: gonna check me, though.
0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Mention It All podcast. I'm Dylan Hafer, and happy Memorial Day. We are off today at Betches, and I hope you are off to doing whatever brings you joy, whether that's Being at the beach or wandering the streets of West Hollywood, hoping for a glimpse of one of the Vanderpump Rules cast, or, you know, maybe just laying in bed watching Bravo. I'm not judging. Do you, do whatever makes you happy. Uh, But today, I didn't want to miss an episode. So I am going to be talking about last week's episode of Top Chef because, you know, I just can't stop talking about Top Chef. Uh, But first, I want to get to something that has been percolating a little bit, not just in the Bravo world, but across the larger entertainment space, and that is the Vanderpump Rules Emmy campaign for this season. Vanderpump Rules has never before been nominated for an Emmy, and to be honest, it's never before really even seemed like something that had a possibility of being nominated for an Emmy. I mean, we all are like, you know, nominate Housewives for an Emmy. Like, the Potomac editors deserve an Emmy. That's great. I I do feel strongly. I think the people who work on these shows are extremely talented. I think Bravo, you know, is best in the business at crafting these stories, whatever. But that doesn't necessarily translate to what are the actual Emmy voters watching, paying attention to, caring about and celebrating. So this season really for the first time there is a push being made to get Vanderpump Rules that Emmy nomination. The category that we're looking at is outstanding unstructured reality program. They split it um they split reality into competition, structured and unstructured. So just for for reference last year, the nominees in unstructured reality were The Winner Was Love on the Spectrum US, Uh, Below Deck Med got a nomination, Cheer on Netflix got a nomination, RuPaul's Drag Race Untucked, and Selling Sunset. And I I really want to zero in on that Selling Sunset nomination because, look, do I enjoy Selling Sunset? Most of the time, yes. Yes, yes, I do. Is Selling Sunset a show that I think is operating on a higher level than the best Bravo content? Definitely not. I think they're really good at putting uh, a beautiful Vaseline filter on the lens so everybody looks uh, tuned and airbrushed at all times. I think they're really good at sort of uh, polishing up these uh, storylines, if you want to call them that. They're really good at showing high-end real estate and making it look fucking sexy. I... I totally buy that, but I don't think when you actually take a look at the the level of interpersonal storytelling that's going on on Vanderpump Rules or on Real Housewives of New Jersey or, you know, any number of Bravo shows, I don't think it comes close. And so, I I personally feel strongly that if Selling Sunset last year could nab a nomination, and remember, This was for Selling Sunset last season, the season that Christine was on the outs. She skipped the reunion, or she tested positive for COVID, I guess. Um, That was not even the best season of Selling Sunset. Below Deck Med, I'm glad to see it get a nomination. It kind of is in a different category. Top Chef also has gotten Emmy recognition, but that's in the competition category. I think Vanderpump Rules... We should be taking into account the level of cultural impact that it's had this season. I mean, Scandal does not exist in a vacuum. The New York Times is talking about it. The ABC News is talking about it. The Rock- Rolling Stone is talking about it. All of these, all of these publications that don't talk about this kind of thing, are talking about it. Uh, Vanderpump Rules that last week got a prime slot at NBC Universal's FYC house. That's for your consideration if you uh if you if you spend your time thinking about actual things that matter and not awards campaigns they do this big multi-day event where you know creators and talent from different shows will basically speak on panels and you know the whole point is to get attention and awards recognition and Vanderpump Rules is not the kind of show that is traditionally getting Uh, a prime slot at the FYC house, let's just say. Um, So to see them up there, Lisa and um, executive producer Alex Baskin, Sheena and Lala and Brock were also there. Like this, they're getting the white glove service right now that they wouldn't normally get for a regular season. So I would love to see that culminate in an Emmy nomination. We won't know until later this summer whether that's going to happen. But why, why not just make it happen? Why not let us let Vanderpump Rules be great. And can you imagine, James Kennedy, if this show gets nominated for an Emmy, we will we will be hearing about it until the day we all die. Until the day the meteor hits us, we will be hearing about James Kennedy Vanderpump Rules nomination. I think we deserve that. The weather is getting warmer, so it's time to ditch those jackets and sweaters for shorts and tees. I used to waste my money on clothes that would only last one season. That was until I found quince. Now I've got high quality pieces that never go out of style that I'll be wearing year after year. Now that it's getting warmer, I just stocked up on the quince cotton modal t-shirts. I love a black t-shirt that's the right balance of looking really nice, but feeling really comfortable. It's 50% cotton, 50% modal. It's lightweight. It's breathable. It has a little stretch to it, but it looks so put together. I also just stocked up on more of my favorite Quince socks because, let's be honest, I am at the point in my life where I don't need to have any socks in my closet that have holes in them. I'm getting the Quince ones that are going to last me a long time. They're just the perfect staple to have in your wardrobe. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves, like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos, and versatile flow knit activewear. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80 less than similar brands by partnering directly with top factories quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us plus they only work with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes which i just love upgrade your wardrobe today go to quince.com mention for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns that's slash mention to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com mention
1: summer is
0: The real, uh, you know, the entree that I'm here to talk about today is Top Chef. It is the final five, final four. However you slice and dice it, there are five people left because Last Chance Kitchen has come to an end, and we find out that Chef Sarah is back in the competition, I guessed last week that she was going to win, uh, and I was correct. You, You know, I'm not keeping track, I'm not keeping score for this season, but you know, I was right about Sarah winning Last Chance Kitchen, um... We get, you know, I love our little getting ready montages in the hotel. Th- this show, like, we only really need to see the cooking, but but what we need to see that we maybe didn't know is a full montage of Ali shirtless in the gym. These editors, these producers, they know what they're doing. They know what we need to see. They know what is going to really just get us in the zone, ready to watch A solid hour 15 of Top Chef. And that is Ali lifting weights, shirtless, getting ready to go, talking about, you know, how he started selling sandwiches when he was a kid. Love to hear it. We're in business. We're cooking with fire, baby. (laughs) Tom and Gabri also have a nice little moment where Tom says, good morning, sunshine. And Gabri says, good morning, gorgeous. Like, I don't even like Tom. And that was cute to me. But anyway, getting into the quickfire this week, we have a guest judge named Sam... Bumpus, who Padma tells us has revitalized the jelly craze. I did not know this was a thing. None of the words coming out of her mouth sound real. Um, But anyway, the quick fire here is to create a dessert that incorporates jelly and also uses a mold. So the the mold doesn't have to be used for the jelly specifically. Um, And they have 30 minutes to prep and then an hour to let their stuff set and then 15 more minutes to assemble. This is a tough one because. You know, it's not just like throwing things together on a plate. It's science. There's science involved. You have to use your your gelatin and your agar. And the temperature has to be right for the jelly to do whatever jelly does, which I can't, I don't know anything about. But yeah, this is obviously, this challenge is like Buddha's dream come true. He has a mold out, he's gonna make a literal orange blossom out of ice cream. Um, that sounds like something that is within his wheelhouse somehow. Sarah calls back to a time on her original Top Chef season where she served Padma a jello shot. The the clip where she's like, Oh yeah, that's a lot of makers mark in there, and Padma's just like, nope, 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 nope it doesn't signal good things uh uh coming coming our way but anyway we have a couple of panna happening uh lots of different stuff uh gabri his dish sounded so delicious uh unfortunately uh the the panna just didn't set in time so his dulce de leche panna with like a strawberry thing happening it's just a little bit um it looks a little bit just like scraps thrown together in a bowl. Um, the mold is really nowhere to be found. Um, Ali makes this dark chocolate cremeau with the currant jelly. And that sounds fucking delicious. I love a dessert challenge because the thing is like sometimes on Top Chef, the, the dishes are a little bit too elevated to really wrap my mind around or to sound like yummy. But this challenge, you know, we have two panicatas. We have cherry jelly. We have currant jelly. We have orange blossom, saffron ice cream with jelly, and another panicata. <laughs> I'm looking at my notes right now. And the word cotta, at one point, pana autocorrected to wana. So, wanacata. And then two other times, it autocorrected to panda. So, um, Buddha ser- <laughs> served. Saffron ice cream with pandicotta, according to my notes. Um, Sarah did this buttermilk strawberry jelly. That sounds delicious. All of these, whether or not the dishes came together the way they wanted them to, there's not a single one where I'm like, I don't know about that. But anyway, uh, the judges do know about that. Gabri's mold uh, didn't come through, so that he's on the bottom. Tom's flavors weren't cohesive enough. Um, Tom... This episode. He really is like screwing the pooch in a way that happens all too often on these shows, really, because both of the challenges this week are things that he feels like are exactly what he does. He's doing the science with the agar and the jelly, he's doing the, you know, the technical. Uh, You know, trickery, whatever, of the main challenge that we'll get into. And both times, spoiler alert, I mean, this is like a 15 minute podcast episode, so I don't know what I'm spoiling. Both times, he fucks it up. But anyway, back to the quickfire at hand. Um, Ali and Sarah are in the top. Uh, Padma says, Ali's chocolate was luscious. I agree. It looked luscious. But Buddha is the winner. This is three challenges in a row that he has won after, of course, uh, last week's Wellington triumph. Buddha, I mean, I know these shows don't operate on like a point system, but it just is, he's kind of breaking away from the competition and i'll be so curious to see what happens in the next in the last couple episodes because i feel like at this point somebody would have to have a really compelling reason to end up on top above buddha but you know i don't want to get ahead of myself because we have a whole elimination challenge to go first and this is a really interesting one their challenge is to create a trompe l'oeil dish Uh trompe l'oeil it's like this fool to to fool or trick the eye, so it's one thing made to look like it's something else, an optical illusion. You're really trying to get creative with the presentation here, and you know, I think this is one of those challenges where it's tricky because obviously the dish itself has to taste good, has to be well composed. Gail talks about this at the judging that it really has to be. Both. It has to, the presentation has to be on point. This trompe-l'oeil thing is the theme of the challenge. So you can't let that fall by the wayside, but then you also can't prioritize that and forget about the flavors on the plate. This is tricky. They have like three hours to cook. Buddha gets some extra time. They have molds to use. But the fact that they have to immediately go to Whole Foods with their 300 pounds to spend, I would need like hours just to wrap my mind around like, what am I going to make? Meanwhile, Allie is running through Whole Foods being like, I don't know, I'm shopping and I still don't know what I'm making, but I guess guess I'll pull something together. Like, how do you do that? How does your brain work that way? I don't know. Um, But they're going to Hatfield House to cook, uh, which is where Queen Elizabeth I found out she was going to become queen. I love when Padma just sprinkles in a random historical fact this season. It's like she's like I just want to remind everyone that we are in London, so I'm going to say something about the royal family right now even though it has nothing to do with anything. The kitchen at Hatfield House does look kind of like it was built in the 1400s. Like it's a beautiful they call it house. It's like a it's like a castle. Like a like a small palace. I don't know. But it looks like it was built in the 1400s. I'm sure they've gotten, you know, some upgrades, but shit looks old. Like, I don't actually think this is like the dream kitchen to be cooking in. But like, again, what do I know? Gabrielle's idea, I, I the concept is really good. It's it's He's making a dish that looks like a dirty sponge uh, as a nod to him getting his start in the kitchen as a dishwasher. I actually love that theme because I think it, it trompe the, the the whole thing is that it is kind of playful like I'm thinking I, I've seen the way I've seen this most often is like in clothing if you're wearing like a sweater that's just like a plain like not textured sweater but then woven into it it looks like it has buttons or it looks like it has pockets like that's what I think of as trompe the way. and it's kind of playful it's kind of fun and I think Gabri is maybe the only one who really captures that. Sarah is doing this matzo ball soup, but it's going to look like a tamale. Uh, Tom is doing this seaweed caviar that looks like regular caviar. I don't know. I think Sarah's she executes the, the, the flavors well. Everybody really likes it. But the tamale just like isn't that strong of an effect. Even she sets the dish down immediately and Padma's like, I don't know what it's supposed to look like. Is it sushi? Is it whatever? And it's like, I think with this, with this challenge, you should be able to see it. It's like the, is it cake thing? Is it cake is the perfect, they should have just said that. Because if I look, if I look at the plate, I should see, I'm looking around my, uh, around the room right now. And I'm like, what is an object? I should see a, a sneaker, like a shoe on the plate and say, like, that looks like it that looks like a shoe. And I should not know that it's not a shoe until I slice into it or I bite into it or I am told that it's not a shoe. Sarah's just looks like it's like she made like a sushi burrito. Which like, yes, it's it's transformative in the sense that it's not the format you're used to eating matzo ball soup but I didn't think it was a Chipotle burrito. Just like this. I didn't think that was a tamale from a Mexican restaurant. I just thought it was like a wrapped up version of matzo ball soup, if that makes sense. Meanwhile, Buddha is is doing the complete opposite. He is tricking you. He is giving you a glass of wine that is in fact beef and onion broth. He's giving you cherries on the plate that look like cherries, but are like, uh, I don't know, like goat cheese or something. He's giving you, it looks like a black truffle. It's a potato croquette. He's giving you an olive. That's actually, oh, the olive is goat cheese. Like this is, this is a, a trick, an illusion. Wrapping up, you know, a matzo ball inside a Tamale husk or whatever. That's not an illusion. Anyway, I don't mean to harp on Sarah. She did a good job with the dish. Like everybody liked it. Um, Gabri's sponge, it's not as clean as it could be. I agree with them. He should have used some kind of mold or you know, it I got the vibe, but it wasn't it should look like there is one of those yellow and green sponges put on a plate. Tom's is effective in that it really looks like caviar and it's not caviar. It's seaweed. But like, okay, so it still is, it's a, it's a different kind of caviar. You made caviar that looks like caviar and you presented it in a way that was like giving caviar. So it's cool that you made it out of seaweed, but like, that's not an illusion. That's just like, that's like serving me a glass of milk and saying, well, actually it's oat milk like, it's still milk. The sand, I guess, is, like, a its own thing, but, like, it just looks like... Gail says it, it's, like, sandy in her mouth. Like, that's not good. That's not aspirational. Last person is Allie. He does this, uh, you know, aerial view of a garden with, like, dirt and plants and stuff. And this is... The gastroach, I can't remember his name. He says that this is inspired by a garden, but it's not like a trick of the eye to actually think it's a garden. And I think he's right because the like dirt in the garden on the top is full is um couscous. And it's like, yeah, it just it just looks like couscous. Like it's brown, but it's like couscous. Like I can just look at it and be like, That's a bowl of couscous. Honestly, I hate to say this. Ali. I'm sorry. The dirt Effect would have been more effective if you had like crushed up Oreo cookies and put them in there. You know how you'll get like, you can get like a dirt mud pie or whatever where it's like crushed up Oreos and like gummy worms. I kind of would have lived if somebody just like did that. What a flex that would be if you were on Top Chef and you were like, let me just go to Whole Foods, I'm gonna buy a pack of Oreos, I'm gonna buy a bag of gummy worms, I'm gonna buy like chocolate pudding and just serve it up in a little like plastic cup. Would you go home? Yeah, would it be iconic? Yeah. Sorry. Or actually, somebody could just like do like a gourmet version of that. Somebody should have done that. I don't know. Did did anybody else watch um when the bon appetit YouTube channel was like really thriving like pre-pandemic, RIP problematic mess, when Claire Saffitz would do those gourmet makes videos where she would be like, I'm going to make a gourmet version of a Cheeto or a Starburst or whatever. Granted, she spent like literal days making those videos. So maybe that wouldn't have been feasible in the three hour time slot. But like, if somebody had made like, you know, like gummy worms that were actually like, you know, like, like pate or something fancy. And like the Oreo crumble was actually like, I don't fucking know, like something gourmet. I don't, I don't know. I, this is not my job. It's not my job to come up with the dish, but like that would have been like the garden effect, but like kind of funny, but also like impressive. Meanwhile, Ali just put like couscous and breadcrumbs and herbs in a bowl. I've really worked myself up over this, haven't I? Anyway, Gabriel and Buddha end up as the top two. They move on to the finale in Paris, and you can just tell Tom is seething. Like he's like,, ah, that was supposed to be mine. It's not though unfortunately. Uh, well, fortunately for us, I, uh, you know, I've never been a Tom fan. Buddha wins again. This is now his fourth challenge in a row. Again, he's really just, he's rising to the top. Um, the bottoms are the other three, Tom, Sarah, and Ali. Um, the thing is, you know, Sarah and Ali's issues were more with the trompe l'oeil and committing to the illusion. Tom's just didn't quite give. The seaweed flavor was messed up by the chemicals that he used to make it into the the caviar form. Um, Gail says that it didn't taste different enough from what it looked like. And, you know, it's Tom's time to pack his motherfucking knives. And that's it. And we're headed to Paris next week. Gabri and Sarah have never been to Paris. I'm so excited for them. Gabri says they're going to kiss random men. I hope he does. Live your dream. Um and yeah, that's all for today. Until next time, don't forget to rate, review, follow the show wherever you listen. You can follow us on Instagram at Bravo by Betches. You can follow me at Dylan Hafer. We'll be back on Wednesday to talk about the Jersey Reunion. There's so so much good stuff happening. Uh, and until next time, be cool. Don't be all like uncool.
1: batches